All right, you ready, man? Yes, sir, brother. Sweet. Well, go ahead and give us uh, your name, where you're from, kind of what your ministry is, where you work, what you're doing. Yeah, I am Pastor Greg Locke, and I'm just outside of Nashville at Global Vision Bible Church, Mount Juliet, Tennessee, little uh, town I grew up in. had like 5,000 people, and a decade ago, it just exploded. And we started the church 14 years ago, and we are now starting to see everything we've prayed for for years and years. So it's been amazing. Awesome. That's great, man. Well, thank you so much for your time once again. And I want to start out with this, um, this, this term progressive Christianity, and I'm sure you've heard of it and are very familiar with it. So we're going to just jump right into things. And I want to kind of get your take, like, how do you define progressive Christianity? Well, I mean, it's, it's almost a social gospel situation where we're getting away from the true power of the gospel, Romans 1.16, and now it's all about doing good things, and now, you know, we have to pay our reparations, and it's almost to the point now where this progressive style of Christianity is so anti-Book of Acts, it's so anti-New Testament, that mm-hmm. it's nothing more than a democratic leftist agenda and you can't offend anybody and you got to be so kind you know jesus was the socialist uh, no everything jesus touched got better not worse and so it's just nonsense to see that so many christians are following this hook line and sinker and now you have you know these these huge trends you know believers for biden well you know at, at the end of the day i'll be honest with you i don't know if you can really be that much of a bible believer and follow what Biden actually stands for. Because what I told our folks this past weekend, as far as progressive Christianity, they're never Trumpers. You know, look, I get that the man has a past, but I'm not concerned about his past as much as I am concerned about the liberals present, okay? Because what they're doing now is destroying the United States of America. It is destroying freedom. And these Christians are like, oh, let's just gobble this up. This is beautiful. Let's all wear a mask and let's all stay home and sip lattes in our pajamas and have our churches closed because the government said so, Romans 13, which is bogus nonsense. Mm-hmm. Has a long way around the barn. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Um, I mean, so another question that I've always thought is, has apathy from speaking on social issues in the church, has, has that always been an issue in the history of the church? Or is this kind of a modern thing? People just... uh, More modern. I, I think it, the church has gone through its first, but man, it's so lukewarm these days. They don't want to call out anything. Mm-hmm. It's just... Dance around the Mulberry Bush. Don't step on anybody's toes. You know, this PC idol that everybody bows to. And so I think what happens is, you know, people ask us, man, why is your church growing? How come all your social medias are on fire and all that kind of stuff? And I'm like, look, the only magic sauce we have is we just say it the way we see it. And I think there's a lot of people that sit in their churches and they're like, just say it. You're so close. Just say it. And these pastors are afraid to say it because they're too busy counting nickels and noses. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I don't care what the world calls me or what the church calls me, as long as God never calls me a coward. And I don't think he ever will, because I'm just going to call it the way that I see it. But it's always been a problem, but way more now in this culture that we're in. Yeah, no, that's great. I think it's uh, Revelations 21.8. The the first thing listed as one who would not enter the kingdom of heaven is a coward. And so he will not stand up for truth and fight for it. Um, Where where do you think the the deep-rooted cause of that is? Pastors just afraid to speak truth. Well, you know, I, I get letters a lot. Our guys are like, man, I love your ministry. I love what you're doing. But if I said that, I would lose my job. And I think to myself, well, who are you bowing to, right? You're going to bow to the deacon board. You're going to bow to the elders. You're going to bow to the ministerial assassination or association, as I call them. You know, what denominational hierarchy? I, I play to an audience of one. Well, really two. As long as God's happy and my wife's happy, then I'll burn the world down for Jesus. But these pastors don't want to say anything. They're just afraid that somebody's going to leave the church. Whereas I'm counting on it. 
because not everybody's supposed to be at my church, right? There's some people that can hang and there's some people that can't. And I think the Lord is thinning out the ranks and he is raising up an army. And the only way we can have the right army that's pushing back is to get rid of the wrong people. And I think there's a lot of the wrong people in some of our churches that we're trying to hold on to, if that makes sense. But, you know, these are new days, bro. And the people that got us where we are aren't the same people God's going to use to get us where we're going. And sometimes you hate to say it because you love everybody. But the best thing some pastors can show some people in the church is the back door. Because sometimes you got to have a backdoor revival so you can raise up an army of people. I, I'm so honored and humbled to pastor hundreds of people that I'm t- they'd go to war tonight with me. I mean, they would be paying bail before the handcuffs were even clasped on my hands. And I mean, that's what a pastor wants. That's what a pastor longs for. And these pastors, man, they're just so wishy-washy. They're just afraid to rock the boat. And I'm finding that the reason people drive from 15 or 20 different states every weekend, they fly here from California every weekend without fail for one service. It's not because we're compromising. It's because we're saying it and people are starving to death for somebody to just speak the truth of the word of God. Yeah, man, that's phenomenal. And to me, from my observation, I think a lot of that uh, timidity from pastors can be tied to this, this, timid Jesus that we've painted in our modern culture. And so if you could speak to that, like where have we gone wrong in painting and preaching the masculinity of Jesus? Yeah, we've done so much love, love, love. You know, God is love, which he is, but God is holy. And the only reason his love even makes sense is because of his wrath. I mean, who cares if you're loved or not? But if God's ticked off, he's ticked off. And so the love of God makes sense because God is holy, God is righteous. And you have this whole you know, generation of people that say, well, only God can judge me. You're exactly right. And that should scare your socks off <laughs> because he is going to judge you. And I think we have so minimized the holiness of God that we have, if you will, sissified the character of Jesus. When here's a man that walked into a temple and made a whip and ran grown men out with a whip. Okay. He wasn't just whipping the chicken, the goats. He was whipping grown men and telling them to get their tails out of the church because they made the church a den of thieves when it was made to be a house of prayer. And so we've made this mealy mouth, mamby pamby, soft socialism, Jesus that never stepped on anybody's toes. The meanest sermon that has ever been preached by anybody was in Matthew 23. You fools, you snakes, you vipers, you hypocrites, over and over and over. And so when people say, you know, especially on TikTok, because you know as well as I do, I can say certain things in other social media worlds. TikTok is soft, brother. I mean, these people get mad about everything. This younger generation weak and they're like, oh, you ought to preach like Jesus. I thought, well, if I did, I wouldn't even have a page because you wouldn't watch any of my videos if I preached like Jesus. And so, yes, he was compassionate, Yes, he was loving, and yes, he was able to walk into the lives of broken people, but it's because he commanded authority. When he spoke, he spoke as one that had authority, not as the scribes and Pharisees. He wasn't a dictator, but he was a man's man. He was a grown man, and he could not have endured what he endured on that cross if he was just some little mealy mouth, compromising, sissy, with no biceps whatsoever. I mean, Jesus was a rugged outdoors, and this guy's a carpenter. I mean, he shook your hand. You knew this was a man. You know, and so I don't know where we got these Italian pictures of barely any ketchup coming out of the side of Jesus and get this long hair all the way down his back. But it's so painted Jesus in the corner. This man was a man. Matter of fact, he was the God man. And that makes it all the more man. So I, I don't know. You get me stirred up. I get to preaching on all yeah, that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and I mean, if you could maybe just just say something to people that are in positions of leadership 
um, to, I mean, you, you've obviously got a fire in you and a passion for truth. And I think that's, that's why you are so passionate about it. Not afraid of people because you're rooted in truth, man. And you're not afraid of what the world thinks of you as the Bible says, (laughs) and just people in leadership who they're so, so afraid of saying something wrong. They've so bought into this, this, this idea. You can't offend people. Yeah, exactly. You can't offend people. So man, what do you have to say to people who are, are dealing with that? Was offensive. Even the Apostle Paul said, you take the offense out of the gospel and you have a fake gospel. You have a false gospel. I'm saved because I was offended. I was offended by the fact that I'm a sinner. I'm doomed. I'm damned. I'm on the way to hell. But Jesus did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And if you take that sting out, all you have is a motivational pop psychology message, right? The gospel is you've offended the holiness of God. And so the fear of man brings a snare. And so if I fear what my congregation thinks, if I fear, you know, if I worship the clicks and the likes and the shares and all that kind of stuff, then I'm going to bow to that. Because if you so crave people's attention and affection, if you live by their approval, then you'll die by their rejection. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many people, that's, that's what they live for. They're looking for the clicks and the likes. I was never looking to be internet famous, you know, whatever that looks like. In 2016, it just happened and it's growing so fast now we can't even keep up with it. But I wasn't looking for it. I was just like, I'm just going to say some things that need to be said. And so I would encourage pastors to, to remember that God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. We're called to speak the truth in love. But the problem is, here's what the culture, even the church culture, wants us to believe. That when the Bible says speak the truth in love, what we're supposed to do is speak love at the expense of truth. Uh, yeah. when at the end of- not loving or truthful. Okay. If I love my kids, I got six of them. If I love my kids, I'm going to be telling the truth. Don't play on the road. Don't smoke weed. Don't be stupid. Don't have sex before marriage. I'm going to tell my kids things that are truthful and hard to hear because I love them and I'm trying to warn them. And you know, these people are like, well, you know, I just don't know what people are going to think. You got to get over that. I mean, they're burning our cities down for no reason whatsoever. They've effectively closed 85 or 90% of the churches around the world. They're making it super easy for the Antichrist to show up and they're worried about hurting somebody's feelings. I mean, they're still butchering millions of babies, you know, in the United States of America. And we're worried about hurting people's feelings. No, at the end of the day, that's ridiculous. John the Baptist was called by Jesus, the greatest man that ever lived. The greatest man that ever walked out of the womb of a woman was John the Baptist. And of course, he said he must increase, I must decrease, you know, in John 3.30. But here's the secret to the success of John the Baptist. He had the personality of a rock, okay? You couldn't have a Zoom conversation interview with John the Baptist. This dude, you would have thought if you sat down with him at Starbucks that he's like a colossal jerk. But here's the point. All of Jerusalem, all of Samaria, all of the regions round about Jordan came to hear this man. You know why? Because he was a voice in the wilderness. And people aren't looking for personality anymore. They're trying to crucify Trump for his. They're looking for a voice. They want somebody that has a voice. And if God's giving you a voice, man, use it. I don't care if it's TikTok. I don't care if it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't care if it's Zoom. I don't care if it's a pulpit. I don't care what it is. But I'm telling you, God's raising up an army of people that are sick of the nonsense. And they're like, I'm going to use my voice. And the deal is the people that won't use their voice, they're going to fall off the scene and God's going to fill their position with somebody that'll say something because these are days where people are just ready to say something. So that's my, that's great, man. (laughs) I I love your rants and everything. Um, Going back to something you said in the beginning, um, what I see so often nowadays is, is a, a me centered gospel. And I know it's not a new thing. That's probably been around for a while, but man, I'm seeing it just exponentially grow. Um, and, and I mean, how do we get people away from, you know, it's not about what Jesus can do for you. It's about what Jesus did for humanity. And it's about him being the center of your life and the, and the gospel message that you preach. So 
What do you what do you say to that? It's almost kind of like the evolution idea because you know whatever your worldview is is how not only you're going to view the world, it's how you're going to respond to the world. It's how you're going to respond to the culture. So if I believe I'm from a monkey, then I'm going to act like a monkey. I'm going to act stupid for the rest of my life. If I believe there's a divine creator somewhere, it's going to change the way that I live. So it's the same thing true, you know, in this culture uh, that we're living in. I believe everything is so weak and watered down because we have a bad view of God. We have a bad view of the gospel. And so we do have this, what I call Mises syndrome. It's all about me as much as it is about Jesus. Well, at the end of the day, if you realize that salvation is not something for Jesus to surrender to me, salvation's whole point of redemption is for me to surrender to Jesus, but we have made it, as you said, so me-centric. You know, what can the church do for me? What can the kingdom of God do for me? What can God do for me? When at the end of the day, we are saved, we are born again into the kingdom of God so that we can roll up our sleeves and serve others. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that we love God based off the fact of how we serve other people, how we love other people. Jesus said, if you give somebody a cup of cold water in my name, if you feed them, love them, you know, be a blessing to them, then in essence, he said, inevitably, you're doing that to me because you've done that to the least of these. The problem is we look out for us. We look out for the least of us. We're not looking out for other people. And the church is the problem. The church has become so self-serving every day's a Friday. If we don't play the music you like, then you're going to leave. You got to have the lattes that, you know, you, you had this kind of coffee this week and I liked it, but this week I don't like the coffee. And so we've become so consumeristic that church is nothing more than like going to Target or like going to Walmart, or like going to Walgreens. You go up and down the aisles. If they don't have what you want, then you take your Tonka toys and you go somewhere else. Whereas that's not the New Testament church. The New Testament church was these, I read it to my staff this morning. These people, they didn't even consider their stuff, their own stuff. They sold their possessions and goods because the gospel made them generous, not egocentric. And so I could preach an entire series of messages on that question because you're right, especially in the social media world. I mean, they call them selfies. They don't call them youthies. They call them selfies for a reason because we're consumed with ourselves. We're consumed with the clicks and the likes and the fame and all that stuff's great if it's harnessed. It's its proper context. But I think Christianity is so weak because we've taken the the power out of the fact that let this mind be in you, the mind of humility, the mind of being a servant, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And so Jesus's purpose to come to the earth, Luke 19, 10, was to seek and to save that which was lost. I get that. But secondarily, the primary reason he came was not to be served, but to serve. And so what we've done is we've created a Jesus that's a genie in a bottle that gives us everything we want if we stomp on the floor and throw our pacifier out, you know, <laughs> in the restaurant. But what we need to realize is God is a holy God and a righteous God. And the gospel puts me in subjection to him, not him in subjection to me. Yeah, that's great, man. I think the whole documentary is just going to be this way, this interview. That's practically it. <laughs> no. um, okay, let, let, let's get to something a lot of Christians are debating with. Yeah. Should the church be political? Should they be politically involved? And I know you are. And yeah. so you have a lot of experience in that area. I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah, you know, our church is very much political for a lot of reasons. Our church has really taken on my personality of boldness because, you know, it's contagious. It really, courage is contagious. And, you know, we hear all the time, well, you know, they're going to take away your 501c3. Number one, it doesn't work that way. Number two, churches really do pay taxes, although the atheists and the left want you to believe otherwise. We play, uh, pay plenty of them. But then here's what you need to realize. There's only one church 
only one church in the history of this nation that has ever had their tax-exempt status removed for endorsing a candidate or talking about something political. And not only was it removed quickly, it was given back in less than 48 hours because the IRS knows they cannot have a leg to stand on in this argument. If it was going to be the difference in me having a church tax-exempt status on money that people give that they've already paid taxes on, by the way, but if it was going to be me having a tax-exempt status versus, you know, say what needs to be said, I've said it publicly. I've let the IRS know my stance. I'll take it out in the front yard and burn it, okay? I'm not interested in their tax-exempt status. And so people think, well, we can't get involved in politics. Utter, ridiculous, unbiblical nonsense. Here's why. The reason politics are so corrupt is because the church has shut its mouth. Because there was the, you know, black regiment brigade, the road brigade years ago, where the preachers were the politicians. They were the people that were, you know, hauling people into court. They were the ones that were making the executive decisions. And anybody that would say that our Constitution and Declaration of Independence and all that, anybody that would say that it's not based on foundational, fundamental Judeo-Christian principles they're smoking meth in their mother's basement. I mean, there's no way around the fact that God was all, that Jesus, okay, not Buddha, not Allah, Jesus was all over the documentation that gives us the freedom that we have. And now the church is going to be silent about that. I think that is ridiculous because they say, well, you know, Greg, just preach the gospel, stay out of politics. Okay, look, they are not mutually exclusive. It's not either or, it's both. Here's why. If I don't preach against crooked politics, I'm not going to have a platform from which to preach the gospel. Because if we don't stand against ungodly, they are going to shut down TikTok. They are going to shut down Facebook. They are Conservative censorship is a massive problem. On my weekly podcast, I just had a guy that was fired from Facebook. He's a whistleblower. And he talked about conservative censorship. It is so real. Christian conservative censorship is even more real. And now these preachers are like, well, we just want to be backed into a corner. We want to be quiet. And the reason they're butchering babies is because preachers have been silent. The reason people over the culture is because preachers have been silent. And now guess what? We've been so silent. Now they've taken our churches away from us. And now they're threatening preachers, you know, with jail and, oh, you got to wear masks and you got to socially distance. No, what we better practice is socialism distancing is what we better practice. And we better call it the way we see it because we are one election away from losing everything. And that's not even a Trump issue. That's a reality issue. Okay. Regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, the, the facts remain is they're about to take away our First Amendment. They're going to take away our Second Amendment. And guys like us that are talking like this right now are going to jail if God does not intervene and get somebody in that White House that will continue to give us what I call kind of a, a space of grace. Okay, Trump's not the end-all, be-all. Okay, I'm going there Thursday to the White House, and I, I was invited, you know, and I, I'm honored to be there for his, you know, his, his speech and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, okay, judgment doesn't begin at the White House, at the movie house, the crack house, or your house. My Bible says judgment begins at God's house. <laughs> and it's because these mealy mouth preachers that don't have a backbone won't stand up and say what needs to be said. And so it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. So guys like us have become a cultural anomaly that people gravitate to because they're like, oh, finally, somebody opens their mouth and their granddaddy walks out, right? Somebody has some old school principles. Somebody's got some biblical convictions. And, and you know, some people can be bought. I can't be bought. I can't be bullied. I'm not going to be backed in a corner. My life has been so burned to the ground in the media. I don't have anything else to lose. <laughs> and so I might as well just be bold and just, you know, load up as many as I can for the kingdom of God. I know I give long preachy answers, but at the end of the day, preachers just need right. to preach. And quit yeah. worrying about 
Dr. Bottle Stopper and Sister Wigglejaw thinks about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Have you ever written a book about your isms and your, your metaphors and things? <laughs> I have people that have written like these little lockisms. I got this little treasure trove. And so we're thinking about putting it in some kind of uh, a little book. I actually have my first real book coming out uh, next month. It's called This Means War. And it's about the culture that we're living in and uh, how our silence has basically produced our surrender. And so uh, I'm looking forward to getting that out. So Yeah, that's great. I, I went to lunch actually the other day with John Groves and he was telling me about your, your isms and everything that you usually go off. <laughs> no, um, that's awesome, man. Um, so real quick, do you think uh, for the, the silence in the church that's in most part fear of losing their the tax, tax exemption or do you think it's more of a, a misconceived moral worldview? Like, we're just, we're not allowed because of the Bible to be involved in politics, which use the IRS 501c3 as an excuse to cover up what you just said. We have such a moral bankruptcy, such a holiness bankruptcy in the church that, that people are just using that as an excuse because at the end of the day, it's just kind of a wet blanket to cover the fact that, you know what, we, we really do have hey, Greg, this. I'm, I'm going to stop you real quick. Sorry, man. Yep. The beginning of that line was a little cut out. So can you go from oh. the beginning of that real quick for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know where I was, but that's cool. You, you can add that part out. Yeah, I, I think the 501c3 status is just an excuse. It's kind of a, a covering. It's kind of a blanket to cover up the fact that we're just morally bankrupt, like you said, because what we've been taught is, you know, we've got to be like little Amish people and drive our little buggies and we got to sit in the corner and we can't say anything and we can't, can't sing because the governor said so. And so I really think that there is this idea fostered in Christianity and I call it American Christianity, which is far too American and not enough Christian. There's one of my isms. But uh, at the end of the day, we really do have a mindset. We have these blinders on. The, oh, this is the this is the little tunnel that we have to stay in, and we can't see anything else. Well, when I finally broke that tunnel vision and I got out, I began to realize this is what God blesses. God gives you a platform when you're willing to use it. When you're willing to use your voice and fight from victory not for victory, realizing that, you know, the back of the Bible doesn't end with, oh, me, it ends with amen. So I know how the whole thing turns out. So I don't have anything to lose. And so we might as well be bold. But there is this ridiculous leftist mindset that's crept into the church that we have to stay in our lane and we have to be meek and we have to be mild and we can't say anything that's going to be offensive. Utter nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I want to respect your time. So two more quick questions for you. Um, just go off on this whole Jesus was a socialist thing. I mean, when you hear that, gosh, I've been hearing that more often now these days. And I have yet to have like a, a really intellectual response to it. But yeah. I mean, just do your thing and go off and rant on that if you want. Probably not a day that goes by that we don't get, you know, letters and all kind of stuff and threats. I got one, a matter of fact, today from California about Jesus being a socialist. That is so stupid. Number one, they don't understand that socialism always, always, always leads to communism, which is basically uh, atheism with a political mask on. And so we know that Jesus is going to have nothing to do with, you know, an anti-God rhetoric. But as I said a little while ago, everything Jesus touched got better. Okay. He didn't touch a leprous guy to give him more leprosy. <laughs> he touched a leprous guy to heal him from his leprosy. He didn't say Lazarus come forth just so he could shoot him in the face and kill him again. Right. He, he brought the man back from the dead. Everything socialism touches dies. It gets worse. Everything Jesus touches gets better. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so when you see Jesus in the Gospels, he didn't walk up to a blind guy and make him more blind. 
He didn't see a crippled person and make them more crippled. He didn't put more demons in somebody's body. He cast them all out. He cleansed them completely. And so, again, when socialism comes on the scene, it takes things down. It destroys stuff. It relegates stuff. It's, it's a rebellion. It's a renegade spirit. Jesus didn't have that. Jesus walked in, touched people, and changed them. That's not socialism. That's Godism. <laughs> That's theology. That's Christianity 101. And so to say that Jesus was a socialist because he gave to the poor, that's stupid because at the end of the day, socialism doesn't give to the poor. It makes the poor poorer and the rich richer. <laughs> the politicians at the top, AOC and the rest of them, Bernie Sanders, they're going to make more money and more money and more money while everybody else goes more broke and more broke and more broke. And so Jesus was about giving freely. And they're like, well, you know, Jesus gave everything away for free. Therefore, we ought to have free college. No, somebody's paying for that college, Michael. Are you kidding me? Somebody has to pay the bills. He was giving freely of his life, of his time, of his energy, of his talents. And so, of course, Jesus was generous. But socialism is the opposite of anything that is sacrificial or anything. It, it's fully self-serving. There's nothing gospel-centered about socialism whatsoever. So to say that Jesus was a socialist, I'll just jump on the documentary and say, that is blasphemous nonsense. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Jesus was a generous Bible-preaching machine. And I remind you, they didn't kill Jesus because of what he did. They killed Jesus because of what he said. And if Jesus were alive today, saying what he said then, the preachers these days that claim to love Jesus would not have him in their pulpits because they are weak and they ought to have a full body x-ray because it's going to reveal they have no backbone whatsoever. Mm. Dang, man. Come on. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's awesome, man. I, I want to give you one last chance to yep. um, give us like a, a synopsis of hope, I guess, to the average Christian. So people who, and especially the younger generation. So more my age guys who are searching for truth and they're asking questions and they got just all this chaos going on in America right now. And they're trying to figure out how does true faith play into all of this? Give us, give us some hope for, for there's still solid truth out there. Yeah, there really is so much hopelessness in our society. And when you take hope out of a society, you have anarchy. And that's why they are burning down Seattle and Portland. And that's why things are happening in Asheville, North Carolina and D.C., because people have no hope. At the end of the day, we know ultimately that Jesus is hope. It's not a Republican. It's not a Democrat situation. It is the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. But I got my Bible sitting here because I was studying for a message for this weekend. But look, this really is our hope. This is our foundation. The word of God is all the truth that we need. And there's a lot of things about the Bible that maybe I don't understand its concept. Maybe I've got to get, you know, a little bit more digging. I say sometimes you got to get off Facebook and put your face in the book, you know, kind of get your nose out of the newspaper and see what the Bible says. But anybody that has doubts and struggles and fears and anxieties, that's a reality. We all have those issues. My grandfather used to say the only reason the Pope thinks he's perfect is because he ain't married. If he ever got married, his wife would tell him he's got a lot of issues. Well, we all have issues, and I think the Bible speaks to those issues. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 791,000 328 words in the Bible. That's a lot of Bible. That's 1,189 chapters, 31,101 verses. And the, and the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so no matter what they burn down, no matter what's happening, what people need to realize is when you and I and our little pea-sized brains are cold, dead, six feet in the ground, and the world is on fire, the Bible's going to stand like the rock of Gibraltar. The grass withers, the flower thereof fades away, but the word of our God abides forever. It is an eternal book. It is set and it is sealed. It is done. The ink pen of inspiration ran out in Revelation twenty two twenty one, and God says, it's done. What's going to happen is going to happen. And so the, the hope for me is 
that so many people are discouraged, even scared. I mean, everybody's afraid. I mean, nobody knows what to expect in, in these, in these, uh, good. They kind yeah. of blinked on me. You're good. So, gotcha. what to expect because we do live in a hopeless society, but here's what encourages me in the midst of fear and pandemics and people being afraid. And that is this, we are literally watching this book come to life. We're watching it leap off the page and grab this culture by the juggler vein. So people that don't even believe the Bible are starting to realize, wow, this book that's been around for a long time, it's coming to life. It is a self-fulfilling prophetic manual from God. And that's where my hope is. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's a book for me. I stand alone in the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. I have nothing else, nothing else that I can bring any hope to me, to you, to anyone else other than what's written right here in this book. And so I'm excited to be a Bible believer, but I want to leave you with this. I remind our church often, the only parts of the Bible you really believe are the parts of the Bible that you really behave. And so your belief affects your behavior. There's a lot of people in America, even people on the left that say, oh, I believe the Bible. I believe, well, do you behave the Bible? Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so this book, this is a book of hope. It's a book of hope. That's great, man. I love it. I love it. Hey, tell people where they can find you on social media and all that good stuff. Yeah, if you on Facebook, uh, just Pastor Greg Locke, L-O-C-K-E. There'll be a blue check mark that'll come up. And then, or on point with Pastor Greg Locke, we have two big pages. And then whether it's uh, TikTok or Twitter or Instagram and all of that, it's just at Pastor Locke, Pastor L-O-C-K-E, at Pastor Locke, or YouTube, Pastor Greg Locke too. Awesome. And I'll put all that on the documentary as well. Hey, brother, that was awesome. Thank you so much for your time, man. I mean, you just knocked that out of the park. 